This week, Riley has been working on subtracting large numbers, like of the 256,679 minus 189,987 variety. He was working on a couple of final homework problems one morning and kind of talking his way through it, and Peyton overheard him say the word borrowing. And Peyton asked, what's borrowing? And Riley says, here, Peyton, let me show you, and proceeds to teach his first grade brother this mysterious mathematical concept of borrowing. This is a fairly common occurrence in our house where Riley will start teaching Peyton something. He, he's actually really good at it and has a good sense of how to break down something complicated into simpler steps so that the other person can follow along. It's really fun to watch. Some of you parents might know the, that one of the joys of parenthood is getting these little glimpses of who your kid really is, how God made them, what brings them to life. And on the other hand, some of the hardest parts of parenting for me are those times when your kid is acting in a way that makes you say, where did you go? Why aren't you acting like you anymore? And of course, this works the other way as well. We hope that our kids get to know us, get to know the values that we live by, and that they then begin to apply those values in their own lives, the specific contexts and situations that they find themselves in. This might start with us telling them what to do and what not to do. But the goal is that there would come a point when they've internalized those values enough to be able to function as their own mature human. We started our series on the mission of God by saying that the mission is for all things to be in harmony with and reflective of God's character. And the past three weeks now, we have seen that the way God has decided to pursue that mission is through partnership, through giving away power and working alongside first creation as a whole, and then humanity as a whole, and then finally the people of Israel specifically. And today we're taking things the next step further, and we'll kind of unpack this idea over the next few weeks. But the people of Israel are chosen by God, partnered with by God, and one of the main things God intends for Israel to do is for Israel to make God known. One of the interesting things that shows up again and again as a theme throughout the Bible is that God is a God who wants to be known. The story opens with a God who walks in the garden with Adam and Eve in the first chapters of Genesis, and it closes with a God whose dwelling will be with humanity in the closing chapters of Revelation. And the story is sustained in the middle by a God who comes to be with us as Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. But as we've seen already, for whatever reason, God has chosen to be known through a people, possibly because that's the only way a triune, communal, relational God can be fully known, through a relational community. As Christopher Wright puts it, the God revealed in the scriptures is personal, purposeful, and goal-oriented. And we know this God to be totally, covenantally, and eternally committed to the mission of blessing the nations through the agency of the people of Abraham. So this is the task that Israel has been given to make God known. And it's the task the church has been given as well. N.T. Wright makes the point that this is fundamental to Israel's self-understanding. Their God is not like the other gods, which are all territorial. The gods of Babylon do not have power in Egypt and vice versa. Almost by definition, they have power in their territory and only there. But Israel believes in one God, the God of all the earth. And if there is one God of all the earth, then all the nations need to know. The main way that Abraham's descendants will be a blessing, as Meredith introduced last week, is when the Gentiles come to know God through 
Israel. This is what it means to be a light to the nations, as Isaiah said. Israel often forgot this calling, but it's there from Abraham all the way through the prophets that Israel is to make God known to the nations so that they might come to know this God as well. This is what Israel is chosen for, the job they have to do. But where we are picking up the story of Israel today, there's a problem. Because Israel can't very well make God known in their current context, which is as slaves in Egypt. God's people are supposed to provide a holistic idea of who God is. And for that to happen, they need to be free. So just like God did with Abraham, God identifies a person through whom God's work can begin. And Moses, tending his father-in-law's flocks in the wilderness, the disgraced former member of Pharaoh's household, sees a burning bush. This is from Exodus 3. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When Yahweh saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And God goes on to outline what is to come. God has heard the cries of the oppressed Israelites and will act decisively to free them and make them a people. And Moses will lead that people out of slavery into the promised land. Moses, if you know the story, hems and haws and makes excuses for why he shouldn't be given this responsibility before God finally convinces him to take it on. And in the midst of this hemming and hawing, we read this from verse 13. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall, God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this my title for all generations. Now, this might seem a bit of a strange thing for Moses to ask. After all, God has already told him, I am the God of your ancestors. That is who God is. So what does Moses mean? What is God's name? Especially for us who are in a culture that is so steeped in monotheism of the Judeo-Christian variety that long ago the name of God just became God. This is a bit strange. N.T. Wright, in his massive scholarly works on the New Testament, actually puts God in the lowercase, like lowercase G-O-D, to make exactly the point that is important here. Which God? Who is this God? What is this God like? That was not at all a settled topic in biblical times, when the Jewish people were virtually the only monotheistic people around, and even them, not all the time. There were many gods. They were all a bit different. So which God is this again? Really, it isn't a settled topic today either. Saying God as if everyone in our culture who uses that word are all meaning the same thing when they say God, that's not actually the case for us either. So we kind of know what this is like. 
And so Moses wants to know something more specific than God. He wants to know what this God is like, what qualities of this God are most important in this situation. John Walton, the Old Testament scholar, makes the point that in the surrounding cultures, it was common for gods to have many names that described their many qualities. In the Babylonian story, Enuma Elish, the chief god Marduk has 50 names describing his many powers and qualities and characteristics. The Egyptian sun god, Amon-Ra's power was shown in that he had an unknown number of names, so many you couldn't count them all. Moses's question here is not so much, who are you, as what are you up to? What do you have to offer in this situation? And God has an opportunity here, the chance to declare who God is, the most important aspect. God could have said, I am power, I am freedom, I am the liberator. I am love. I am life giver. And we do see names like those showing up in other passages of the Old Testament that describe God. But this is the origin story. What is the name that God wants to begin this relationship with God's people with? Yahweh. English translations often render this I am, which is what we read earlier. I am that I am. But it's not 100% clear what this is getting at. It seems to be a form of the verb to be, which is where the I am translation comes from. Robert Alter, a Jewish scholar who's done a really interesting full translation and literary commentary of the Bible, writes that the most plausible construct in Hebrew is, I will be who or what I will be. I will be who I will be. But that it's also possible to construe this as, I am the one who endures the one who will go on being, so to speak, or even I am the one who brings things into being in the sense of I am the being who causes things to be. It's not totally clear, in other words, what the theological meaning behind this name is. Many, John Walton points out, think it is a causative form of the verb. That last option that Alter mentions, something like I am the one who causes to be. In this context, when this is the name connected with a group of people who already exist in the sense of being alive, it means I am the one who is causing this people to be, who is separating out this people Israel like God separated light from darkness in creation and is then entering into a relationship with them. I am the one giving this people a purpose and a function, one that comes out of their relationship with me. John Golden Gay looks at it slightly differently, interpreting it as something like the first option that Alter mentions, I will be there. That in the long, sometimes joyful, sometimes harrowing journey that is in front of the Israelites, God will be there. God's presence will be with them, come what may. In either case, the name God chooses to begin with, Yahweh, is one of presence, relationship. The most important quality that God wants the people to know as they follow God out of Egypt is that this God will be with them. This God wants to be known. This God will be there, wherever there ends up being. This God is Yahweh. And this points us to a crucial piece of our task of making God known. We need to know God first. The danger of the point that we've been making in the first part of this series is to reduce the mission of God to some sort of cold business transaction. But that isn't the type of partnership God has in mind at all. 
In fact, a cold business partnership wouldn't accomplish the mission because the God who desires for all creation to be in harmony with and reflective of God's character is a relational, communal God, a God who wants to be known. And so God's partners better reflect that reality as well. This is where a different metaphor for our relationship with God is helpful. One that is in the Bible far more often than partnership, actually. Family. God invites us to be a part of God's family and from that place to make God known. And so we can be sure that God delights in getting to know us. Just like I delight in watching Riley teach things or watching Peyton climb a tree in the park and then jump out of it. God is saddened when we act contrary to who we were made to be, just like I am when one of my kids does. And God hopes that we will get to know who God is, God's values and characteristics, so that we might live them out in the real lives that we live. And in the process, show those around us who the God we know is. We make God known. Yahweh is the God who was there, walking in the garden. The God who was there, promising a great future to Abraham's family. The God who was there, liberating the Israelites from slavery. The God who was there as they wandered through the wilderness. The God who was there, walking with them to exile in Babylon and then back again. The God who was there revealing God's self to those who wrote all these stories down in the books that we now read. The God who was there in a baby in a manger, God with us. The God who was there with the church through all its many ups and downs through history. The God who is there now with us, sharing the many burdens that we carry. The God who is there now as we try to follow Jesus into the world together. The God who will be there wherever following Jesus ends up taking us. God delights in being known and being made known. They have shown it again and again. As Jesus said while comparing God to a loving parent, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and for everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Let's ask, seek, knock. Let's get to know this God. For its own sake, of course, but also so we might be part of the family that makes this God known. Amen.